Hey lovelies, before we get started, I want to tell you about a way that you can earn money towards clothes from my line. Um, I have been running Impact Fashion in its current form as, you know, as a retail only operation, I guess you could say, where you can only get my designs through my website since, um, since the beginning of 2020. And during that time, I have been so fortunate that so many of you have told your friends about me and whether that was telling them about this podcast or about the clothing or about my Instagram page or any of the other work that I'm doing. That's really how this company has grown. It has grown from lovelies like you telling your friends and them telling their friends. And like side note, word of mouth is how most businesses grow. Um, word of mouth is like so much more effective than than any other marketing that any brand could ever do. And since I have been so fortunate to have been on the receiving end of so much wonderful just great word of mouth and great referrals from all of you, I figured that it was time for you to get paid for that hard work. So, here's how it works. I have created a referral program. Um basically, for every friend you refer, you get a $25 gift card to impact fashion and they are stackable. So if you refer four friends, that's a hundred dollars off a dress that, you know, that gets you the fifth date top for free, you know, or it could get, it's like more than 50% off the all American dress. That's it's significant. And if you refer eight friends, then you've got $200, et cetera, et cetera, do the math yourself. So here's how it works. You sign up for the referral program. Um, I'm going to read off the URL at the end of this. I'm also going to put it in the show notes. So it'll be really easy. And you can also find it on impactfashionnyc.com. So there's a couple of places where you can find it, but you're going to sign up for the referral program. And then you get a unique link. So you're going to get a special link that has like extra coding magic at the end of it that tells me that the link came from you. So that the that the website visit, I should say, came from you. So you're going to share the link with your friends. When your friends order, you get $25. You get that $25 gift card. Um, and like I said, those gift cards can be stacked. So yay. And it's literally that simple. You get a $25 gift card for every friend that places an order. Now, the gift card does get issued after the 30-day free return window has passed for, you know, on your friend's order. If your friend returns the order, I'm not going to be able to issue that gift card. But my post-return process is actually pretty awesome. And I work a lot with people to... Um, to help them, you know, find something that works for them after if they've needed to make a return. And if somebody clicks on your link and then orders from me anytime in the 90 days since they last clicked on a link, clicked on that link, then you'll still get credit. So let's say you share your link with your friend. She places an order. She gets the dress. Let's say it's the wrong size, the wrong color. She doesn't love it, whatever. She sends it back. And then she sends it back and maybe like a week or two later, she orders something else. You would still get credit for that second order. So really super, super simple and a really great way for you to earn credit. So the link to sign up is impactfashionnyc.refersion. That's R-E-F-E-R-S-I-O-N.com slash affiliate slash registration. You can also find the sign up by going to the bottom of any page on impactfashionnyc.com and clicking referral program. That'll also get you straight to that sign up. And remember, for every friend you refer, you can get a $25 gift card to Impact Fashion. Thank you so much for your always and ongoing support. I cannot wait to work with you and enjoy the show. Brought 
from Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. And on today's show, I talk with the hosts of the Deep Meaningful Conversations podcast about their show. We discuss how COVID led to the normal from women podcast, which is eventually acquired by Meaningful Minute, the politics of being normal, diversity and conformity in the Orthodox community, and how from women relate to their talents. You know how sometimes you just click with someone? That is exactly how I felt about Alex Fletcher and Rifki Silver when we sat down to record this. The pair behind Meaningful Minutes Deep Meaningful Conversations podcast jumped pretty gracefully between topics, and we honestly just had the best time chatting about some important issues in the community. I'm going to start with you, Alex. Um, And can you tell me a little bit what you were like as a little kid? Oh, as a little kid. Okay, so I'm an only child. So I think that informs so much of what I was like as a little child, as a little kid. Um, I grew up, I was born in New York City. My parents moved when I was three to Atlanta. So um, I'm just, I really like being alone. Um, I was always the kid sitting at the Shabbos table with my parents listening to this whole conversation. Um, And I really think those years of just being, you know, listening to people talking sort of prepared me for the kind of work that I do now. I'm an opinion writer and, you know, podcasting. Um, so yeah, I just, I was the kind of kid who just liked being in nature, like being alone. Sure. I was social, sure. I had friends, but, um, yeah, I don't know. What, what else can I tell How you? How did you get into opinion writing? Were you always, were you always a, a like a writer as a kid? Was that always something that no. interested you? Well, I did enjoy creative writing actually as a child. Um, I remember writing like short stories and giving them to my middle school English teacher to, and she would actually sit and copy down like her notes and make corrections. And I, I mean, it was just amazing. Like it was just amazing just on her spare time. And that made a, that actually made a really big impression on me that like she cared about what I had to say in my writing. But um, I always an English person in high school and I majored in English communications, which is actually my degree was in English with um, a minor in public relations. So, you know, trying to think of something practical I could do with my you know, interest in, in writing and communications. That was always like my field. What is something practical I, than you can do with English well, and communications? The degree is, you know, journalism, public relations, advertising, you sort of choose, you know, Got your it. particular direction. Um, but I really had a passion for Jewish education. I really, you know, and I think, by the way, you said like, what can you do with communications? You know, being a teacher is the ultimate communicator. So, um, and I was also very idealistic type of person in terms of my Judaism. So I, if you want a quick story, I, I had an internship actually at Isha Torah in London when I was like 19 years old one summer and doing what I thought I wanted to do, which was sitting behind a computer and write and doing their communications work. Like I wrote up um, their report, their like annual report and all that and writing about all of their activities and their programming. And I had this like brainstorm, like, I don't want to be the one writing about these things. I want to be the one doing this, these things. I want to be the one teaching and doing the programming. And not that I wanted to go into professional career, but it was really like very insightful for me. So I ended up, I, I got my master's in Jewish education from Israeli. Um, it's a YU graduate school. And then my first job was like a dream come true. I taught eighth grade English plus eighth grade Judaic studies. And I did that for 15 years, you know, in the different places that I've lived between middle school and high school. 
um, you know, teaching English and, and Slamude Kodesh. So writing. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm saying you, you had, so you kind of like you, you took all of these skills you had and you parlayed them into teaching. Right. Um, so writing was always just like a part of what you did. So I did like a panel for women in the, in the Cleveland community. And it was, um, about supporting our husbands who are working because often in the, from, you know, more right-wing community, there's a pressure, not pressure, value to support your husband who, who's learning. But what happens when those husbands who are learning go to work <laughs> and, you know, are we prepared for that? So it was something I was very passionate about. My husband was in Kolal and then I supported him through medical school and beyond. So we had this panel and I was like, you know what? I want to write about this. So I read, always read um, Cross Currents. It's a blog about Jewish communal issues, Rabbi Yitzhak Adler scene. And I just like pitched it to him and he loved it. And he posted, he posted, and it was like one of those, like went viral kind of hit a nerve pieces. And from there, I just started, you know, writing sort of these type of like opinion pieces on communal orthodox matters um, in different websites. And then I just, I don't know, it took me like two years to like, I don't know, gather up all my courage. And I pitched to Mishpacha magazine and I, I, I wanted a column in a main magazine with the men <laughs> mm. talking about, you know, communal issues and Baruch Hashem, you know, I, I got a spot there. It's, it's whatever I want to write, you know, so it just depends on uh, when I have something that's, that's bugging me or I have some kind of brainstorm and that's when I write. So why was it important to, to join the main magazine and not in their family first women's because supplement? I've, um, first of all, the, the, the opinion cop, the opinion section is in the main magazine and that section is, you know, really dominated by solely male writers. I, I didn't know that there were important. any female writers in that opinion section. There I will are, say, yeah, I do so not subscribe are, to here. Here's where I, I want to interrupt to yeah. tell you where I'm coming from. I do not subscribe to Mishpacha magazine personally. Mm -hmm. Um, as a matter of principle, I don't support any magazine that doesn't publish women's pictures. Um, mm -hmm. and, but my parents get it. So I will occasionally flip through and see. And I didn't realize that there were any women in the opinion section. I never read the opinion section because right. it honestly usually makes me sad. So I, so I skip it, but that's, you know, that's my own personal, you know, garbage another, to deal with. Yeah, that's, answer. that's a different, that's, you know, that's just because of my own personal views generally don't align with Mishpacha on any level at all. Um, but I didn't realize that there were any women in the opinion section well, there. Right. So let's just be clear. There are plenty of female reporters and journalists throughout the main magazine. Um, but the opinion and section the is- And don't forget the editor herself. Of course, the editor is right. female. And the editor yeah. has her own editorial article that comes out every other week, you know? But in terms of this, um, um, you know, opinion section, it's, it's, it's there are three main writers that, you know, are the main contributors. I'm not weekly. So that's why you may pick it up and not see me. That, you know, yeah. it's, it's, if I really like, Really, if I really appreciated the opportunity that I had to have this position, I would kick myself through it every week. It is just, it is hard for me. It's very hard to have a weekly column. Anyway, so yeah, I feel I wanted my all of the writing that I had done up until this point in terms of opinion pieces were being read widely by men and women. And I didn't and not that men don't read family first, but it's aimed towards women and the types of articles I'm writing about. Um, I wanted to have the widest audience possible. Um, including men and women. So that, that was my goal that yeah, we I mean, should show that there, yeah, yeah. Just, I just want to add that we should show that there are, there are Orthodox women who have a say and have a platform to discuss, you know, issues in the communal, you know, from world. Right. I was going to say, I mean, you're writing about communal issues and communal issues really do, you know, impact everyone, men and exactly. women and children.
Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I hear that. So Rifty, thank you for jumping in. Um, we're going to leave, we're going to leave Alex's story for just a second. Rifty, can you tell me what you were like as a little kid? Well, I was, I was spunky and quirky. I would say <laughs> is how I would describe myself. Um, I was also very creative. I was always in, involved in the arts, whether it was drama or art. And I started, um, taking, I started being very involved in music at a very, at a, not a very young age at like seven. So pretty actually a standard age, seven, eight. And um, so I was very, I was always just involved in the music and arts and yes, also writing and also languages, like anything in like the creative sphere was like my jam. So that was definitely, I would say how I would describe myself. And I was, also, even though I was not an only child, I was, I did also like Alex gravitate towards like adult, adult conversation. I, you know, I was never like intimidated by the adults at the table. I would just <laughs> hang out with them too. You know, I have, I have one kid like that now. He's always like lurking in the corner, listening to the adult conversations. And we have to remember okay. that he's here guys. Like, he's, he's only Rifty, it's, Rifty, it's like the biggest insult for me was to be put at the kid's table. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, but am I not also an adult? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> so so true so what what were you into in school like what what did you go for what did you think that you were going to be when you grew up oh my gosh I don't think I knew because I wanted to be everything all the time although I have to say when I was in kindergarten they asked you know what do you want to be when you grow up I said a giraffe so it's not clear that like I really understood what it meant. <laughs> like I don't know I never achieved that goal did not become a giraffe but um I was I was always like just kind of in everything so it was hard for me to pinpoint because I enjoyed everything and Hashem gave me a lot of different co-hosts so I was I was in music I was in band and I was in choir and I was in show choir I went to public school I didn't grow up from so like I was in you know show choir and yearbook and I was in national honor society and I was like I think I ran cross country one year like it was I was I did golf like I did everything so that was hard because then you know if you do everything then you don't really specialize in everything. It's like, you know, master, what is it called? Jack of all trades, master of none. Yep. So, and I feel like that actually has carried with me into like my adult life. But now I, I instead of choosing to say like, oh, I'm unfocused or whatever, I just say, well, I dabble in a lot of things and I pivot whenever my life circumstances require me to. Like I used to be much more um, involved in my musical endeavors after I became from like my um, Rabbi Shulkovsky at Neve Yerushalayim, this is a story I've told many times, like I became from and I thought like, I was gonna be a classical musician. I was gonna be a professional clarinetist. I was gonna go play somewhere professionally in some, you know, orchestrally or chamber ensembles or something and hopefully get my math, like my PhD in, or not my, my DMA, my doctorate in music and maybe teach at the collegiate level and also perform. That was my goal of what I was going to do. And then I became from, and it was like, oh, well, cl the classical music world, a lot of performances are on Shabbos, kind of a conflict. Also lots of liturgical music, also lots of performances in churches, lots of problems with that. So fine. So I was like, okay, well now I'm from, I'll just stop that. And Rabbi Shalkovsky, who's fantastic, he was like, not to tell him stop, like, he's, what do you mean stop that? Like you, like you girls, you can't just become religious and then leave everything behind. You have a gift for a reason, you should use it. So I would say for the first at least nine to 10 years of my marriage, I was really focused on using my musical abilities as much as possible, which was fine. But How I, did, I, I just want to get a, a feeling on the timeline here. When yeah. did, like, when did you become firm? When did you become religious? And how did that tie into when you were married? Like, what's the, yes, what's that's the timeline? Really here? Those are important details. So I, um, I became from, I started becoming from shortly after college. So when I was like 24, I would say. Um, I was like officially from 
when I was 25. And then I went to Israel for a year and I came back and then I was introduced to my husband and I got married when I was 27. Okay. So when you, you know, so when you're talking about like the first nine to 10 years of your marriage, it really is also like the first 10 to 11, maybe 12 years of you being religious. Correct. So how did that fit in with your musical endeavors? So I just did a lot of hustling to find different opportunities, whether it was finding from people to play with and playing. I learned, I I didn't grow up with any from songs. So, you know, when I started playing for the day schools, they'll be like, oh, you know, it's like this song, like this tune. I'd be like, I do not, in fact, know what on earth you're talking about. They're like, oh, it's this camp song. I'm like, I went to camp. We didn't sing that song. I need more details. Can you just sing it to me? I had a lot of people like voice, like singing me songs over the phone. And then when WhatsApp became a thing, I have a lot of teachers who just like WhatsApp me like this. This is what we're doing for a sitter play. Now, Baruch Hashem, after doing it for so many years, I, I know what I'm doing now more. But um, it was so I so I did it. I basically would anytime I saw an opportunity to play, even if it didn't make sense, I would just jump at it. Like one time NCSY was doing some like Malava Malka, Motsi Shabbos thing, and they like needed an extra musician and I play clarinets. They're like, do you want to come play? And I was like, why not? So it was a lot of like, why not? But then as I, as my family grew and as my, the, my time changed, and also I found like, it, like it was a different level of, we've talked about this on the podcast. Like it was, it's not possible to really recreate the experience I had before I was from. And so like, it was always kind of like, eh, Eh, not quite so satisfying, but a little bit, but what I didn't really scratch the itch. And so um, as I was doing the music, I have all, I've always been a writer. Like I've always written, like almost majored in English also, Alex. And um, my English teacher was like really actually upset with me that I didn't major in English. She was like, oh, why not? Um, it's because I got a scholarship for music. That's why not. Mm-hmm. And so I had a blog for many, many, many years. And I wrote for a lot of different Jewish websites, like basically personal essays, I would say, personal essays with a, with the hope that maybe it could inspire, you know, personal change in a positive way. Or also when I wrote for the more key review sites, like that it could just like, you know, be a demonstration of Judaism in a positive light, those kind of things. And then about like two and a half years ago-ish, one of the editors from Family First Magazine, also Mishpacha, reached out to me and asked if I wanted to write up my story of how I became from for like their Shavuos issue or around Shavuos time. And um, and so I did that and then it just kind of, now I write regularly for them and I do a lot of features. I have one coming out soon on um, children of Bali Shuva and, their, and Garam and their experience in, in life and in the film world. And I love doing like these investiga- investigative pieces. And also I do like fun quirky pieces and it's like a nice hodgepodge of like being able to use this talent in a way that's much more, um, it fits much more nicely with my time that I have as a mother right now of Leanne Hara, five kids and a busy household. I can't really do music performances. I don't really have time to practice music, but I do have time to write in a way that I can't, I don't find it works with my music right now. So I had to pivot. I hear that. Yeah. And that's actually something I'm a new mom. And that's something that I'm learning is like the fact that I, it's, it's taken me a long time. I'm still not used to the fact that like I, if I had a deadline that I was working up until before now, I would just 
whatever. I would work till 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. And I love what I do. So it was relatively easy to do that. And now it's like, well, the babysitter leaves when the babysitter leaves. So honey, you're going home. It's like, oh, yeah. okay. Like I'm still figuring that out, but yeah, I could totally see how writing fits in with, you know, a schedule with five kids and, and all of that. So uh, Alex, how did you connect with Rifki? I know the two of you as, you know, the lovely ladies behind DMC, <laughs> Deep Meaningful Conversations, uh, a Meaningful Minute podcast that's specifically geared towards women. Um, and uh, Alex, I'd love if you could tell me how you connected with Rifki and how the podcast came to be. Sure. So the first time I met with Rifki was probably a good 13 years ago, right, Rifki, in Baltimore? Yeah. yeah. I lived in Baltimore. We were moving out of our apartment to come to Cleveland for my husband's residency. So it must not have been 13 minutes, 13 years ago. I can't remember the timeline a number no, of years was, ago. Hold on. No, it was probably like 11. 11, right. It was, right it was more than a decade. We, we came to Cleveland, fine. And she came, and I still remember her coming with her husband to see if she would take over our lease. That's right. Um, but we've actually both been living in Baltimore and Cleveland, like, I don't know, not at the same time. Finally, we met up in Cleveland and we worked, we've worked over the years on different volunteer projects. Like one of the things we haven't mentioned is like both of us really are, you know, involved in the community in various aspects. So we'll, you know, we did Shabbos project together. We've done a Chizik retreat together. So we're all, you know, passionate about similar things and, you know, have worked as, you know, communal volunteers at the same time. But during COVID, Rifi was like, listen, she calls me. I'll remember, never forget this. I have this thing on my bucket list <laughs> to do a podcast. And I'm like, man, that's also on my bucket list. And she's like, there's no time like now. And it was during lockdown and her kids were home <laughs> and we both had babies and we ended up just getting so excited about it. Like as we brainstormed and we thought of our title and we thought of, and this is before Meaningful Minute, by the way, we could talk about that. Meaningful Minute sort of acquired us um, like the past number of months, but we had a full year of our podcast called normal from woman that we literally recorded when our babies were napping <laughs> like they had like the similar nap schedule we were on zoom we both live in cleveland seven minutes away from each other but we would zoom together and just we we got a season out like in the middle of covid and that's really when the you know from podcast genre if you will sort of exploded um and it was awesome and we've just you know there are many projects Sometimes you work on projects that can be annoying or like you get burnt out. I, both of us have, have talked about this, you know, the burnout that that can occur. And thank God, I mean, this just, our podcast for me has just been such a source of fulfillment and, and joy and working with Rifki as well. Um, Hashem really brought us together to join forces and each of us lending our own talents and our own different ways to this has just been probably the most fulfilling endeavor I've ever worked on. I feel very, I feel very much the same, Alex. Like really, it's like such a satisfying partnership. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm actually embarrassed that I did not put the connect. I knew, Rifki, we connected when you were doing normal from women, I think, oh, yeah? right? I think that's I when we connected on Instagram. Maybe. This sounds, and I am embarrassed that I only just figured, like it only just clicked in my brain that it's the same Rifki Silver. It is. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. Surprise. And it's the same podcast, more or less. Yeah, yeah, it's the same show also now that I got, think yeah. about it. We got a makeover. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. talk to me about that makeover, Rifki. What happened? Oh my gosh, it was so exciting. So we had so we were plugging away with our with our podcast, our normal for women podcast that we were doing. Like we were doing everything. We were doing the graphics. I was doing the editing. It was like all in-house. It was everything music, just like Rifki yeah, writes yeah. perform some music. <laughs> right. I wrote the music for the for the podcast. And um 
which was fun. Um, and the, so we, we were just doing it and we were just planning and our, our general, our general goal was let's just keep doing like one of the things that we had said to each other, because, because we have been on so many projects together and we know how easy it is to get burnt out. And we know how easy it is for something that is theoretically enjoyable to become a source of tremendous stress. And neither of us wanted that to happen. So one of the things that we had said to each other was like, let's just keep doing it. And if it becomes stressful, we'll just take a break, like whatever, like there's no stakes. Like we're just doing this for fun, you know? And we were, we were getting such amazing feedback from our listeners, which was so gratifying that, you know, people were really resonating with what we talked about and not even just resonating. It was not that it was just resonating. Like they were saying like, I'm using your tips in my life and it's making my life better. And we were like, okay, wow. What a, what a, like, what a privilege, you know, like it was really, it was really very moving. And then I don't remember when it was October. It was summer. Well, I think late, late summer summer um meaningful minute already started okay. a conversation yeah, so, right so meaningful minute, Naki gordon reached out to us did he reach out to you alex yeah 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 and just floated the idea of like do you want to join the meaningful minute podcast family you know they have meaningful people they have the two cents podcast with the ben shushan brothers um they had the they had, i don't like now i'm gonna just yeah those are the main two help. podcasts <laughs> like not even like not a good representative here the um <laughs> and yeah, it was just, I mean, it, we didn't even really have to think hard about it because we love no. it. We love their content. We love what they're doing. And to be part of that team was just a, a great opportunity. And the team that we work with are just all, it, they're exceptional people. They're really exceptional people. Like I get chizuk, like whenever, like there's, there's, cause you know, there's always something that goes wrong. There's always a glitch or this doesn't upload or this is that, or this, you know, this isn't ready on time. And we thought this was going to work and then just kidding, it didn't, you know, and there's, there's so many opportunities for stress, you know, and I'm telling you, it's always like, don't worry. Like, it's going to be okay. Like Hashem has a plan. It's the most inspiring team to work with. It's so nice. <laughs> so yeah, and and I, I just we have a greater reach and like more, you know. Right. Yeah, and I when Nahi reached out to me, he was explaining that I believe he said forty percent of you know their followers and listeners are women, and how you know he really wanted a female podcast, but it was sort of like why recreate the wheel? There's this podcast called Normal for a Moment. I mean, thank God, both Rafki and I were just really taken aback. Like our podcast really rose um, to the top of the charts when we would release an episode Normal for a Moment. We were you know, top 10 to top 15 US Judaism, you know, Apple podcasts. So we were up there on the charts, like he saw what we were doing and it just made sense, you know, like he was comfortable with us. It just made sense. Like, Hey, you know, would you like to, to join our family? And we were like, uh, yeah. Is the sky blue? <laughs> yeah. I, I hear that also. I do know that also that like around that time, meaningful minute, like meaningful people, I guess you could say, um, a flack might be a little, a little strong. Um, but I do know that there was a very legitimate criticism there that most of the guests there were men and that they, mm. he was like featuring mostly like, I guess, Rabbanim or, or rabbis. Like, I don't, it was just, it was, it felt like more, and I've listened to the Meaningful People podcast a few times. It, it does feel more male focused, I guess you could it is. say. Um, well, and I think, I think if I can just like hop in here, cause we were thinking about this, cause we don't, we, we only interview women. So it's like interesting because- I was thinking about when, when you're having like an interview, when you're having a schmooze and you're having a conversation, like depending on your sensitivities, whatever, like, you know, sometimes you don't want to create that feeling of intimacy with someone of the opposite. Gender, I hear that. I never even know? thought about that. I will say this where 
so for me, I specifically created Be Impactful. It's about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I only I interview that. women, not because I have a problem interviewing men. Um, I like, there's definitely been times where I've been like, oh, that person's doing something really cool, but they're a guy, it's not happening. Um, okay. I only interview women because I think it's important to highlight accomplishments that women mostly, most of my guests are from women, um, what they're doing. I think that, listen, I, I've said this already before in this conversation. I have a really, I have a really big problem with from media and specifically when it comes to women's faces, I think that that creates an erasure that is, it's making problems for our community. And I think that we didn't, that when we made that decision as a community, like SNES wise or whatever you want to say, even though I don't agree with that assessment of what SNES is, um, we did not consider the side effects of entire generations of young people, women and, and men, literally not seeing women doing things other than like whatever was in their immediate vicinity. And I mm -hmm. think that that had real effects on from society and, and on, and on, you know, how we think about women and how we, um, and how we think about the women around us. So that was where I was coming from. I was like, I need to yeah. talk to just any woman doing a really cool thing. And that's just, and we're just going to talk about it. And we're going to highlight that. Cause I felt like that was, um, was important. Did you I guys think about yeah. your role in like, did you think about this idea of like highlighting women's stories at all? Or was it just, these are the people that we want to talk to? Oh, so this is, can I take this one, Alex? Oh, oh yeah. Like I've been talking a lot. Do you want to talk? Like, no, go for it. Okay, fine. No. So when we were, when we started the podcast back in the day, when it was normal from women, like one of the things that we wanted to do was specifically give voice to regular from women, like the, cause we felt like, yes, it's true. There are a lot of really exceptional people that you can have amazing interviews with that, that can really provide a lot of value and a lot of insight in the world, which is fantastic. And I support this idea also. But at the same time, there's a lot of women, just like even women just like on my block or people who are in my carpool who have a lot of wisdom also in their life that they could share. Maybe not in a 45 minute interview. Maybe they're not a specialist in some area, but maybe they've really connected to a specific mitzvah in a certain way. Or maybe they have really found a way to be able to um, deal with some challenge in their life. And we felt like these women should also have a place to speak. Like they're not gonna be writing columns. They're not gonna be featured on an interview, but they also have what to say. And we should give them a space in which to say it, which is why a lot of times, not a lot of times, sometimes we figure we feature a montage where people literally send us in voice notes and we put that straight into the podcast. So regular women can give voice to their experiences and their fears and their hopes and their successes and their challenges. We also did feature always the expert quote unquote, but we were not doing the celebrity meaning, you know, meaningful people is like, who are the, not, and, and he, and they're both, but it's primarily like big names, you know, recognizable names. And we were like, who is the best person to talk about this topic? You know, who's the expert in this? We're talking about perseverance who, oh, this person just from woman, just who's a PhD, just wrote a book about perseverance. We're going to have her on, you know, resilience, I mean? resilience, yeah, resilience, exactly. excuse me. Well, so, um, but that, that slightly morphed, you know, now that we're part of, um, meaningful minute, what we do, we are not the female version of Meaningful People. Um, meaningful People does have a handful of women. They, it's not that they don't interview women, but it's, you're correct. It is definitely dominated by male guests. Um, but we, we are not the female version of that in the sense that we're like, who are like the you know, top people in the film world? We are still a topic-based podcast. So we like exploring issues. So um, happens to be, you know, we also do highlight people who are well-known. We just did an episode on Jewish modesty on SNES, and we spend much of the podcast discussing it ourselves, Rifki and I, and our thoughts and our insights and our challenges and what we appreciate about things. But then we did have Jamie Geller, who is well known, 
we didn't come to interview her to be like, Jamie, tell us your story. You know, like a classic, like interview centered focus podcast where it's about that profile. We brought her in to be like, Hey, tell us about yourself, but we want to hear from you. What you tell us about your relationship with Jewish modesty. You're someone in the public world. You're someone who, you know, you're in the limelight. You've got the spotlight on you. How do you handle this value as a very public figure. So that's really how we try to approach our episodes is by, is, is by topic, by concept, by issue. And then the, we choose the guests who we want to hear um, weigh in on the topic. I will say this, the fact that you chose, like when I saw that you had featured Jamie on your SNES episode, I really appreciated that. And I was like, uh, oh, I, there was something about like, oh, we're not talking to like a Rebitson or a fashion designer or something. Right. Like we're, we're not talking about clothes here. We're talking about the value behind that modesty. And I really appreciated that. And it, it's part of what I appreciate so much about your show is that it's really, it's about, it, it is very, it's like, because it's topic focused, it gets very deep, which I mean, it is a deep, meaningful conversation. I appreciate <laughs> that, that level of it there. Well, thank you. That's awesome yeah. to hear. Thank yeah, you. when we had to change the name, we like we were very emotionally attached to normal for a moment because right. we're like that. That's sort of how we feel like we are. We're just like okay, and then people were like, "What are you talking about, Alex? Riffy, you both write for Mishpacha Magazine. Like you're not normal. Like yes, we're just normal. We're just regular." And well, we also, love that. Remember, Alex. Almost every single person who we, we said, "Do you want to come on the podcast?" They're like, "Oh, I'm so surprised to be considered normal." Like it, without yeah. fail. it was a badge of honor. It's a, but it's but, a very um, it's a very charged word. It is charged. It is charged. And, you know, when you, when you join, there's a merger, like often there's a rebrand, there's always a rebrand. And we struggled trying to find our new name and like nothing was hitting. And I had putting my toddler to sleep. I was like lying in my bed and it just like hit me. I'm like, Oh, DMC, deep, meaningful conversation, meaningful minute. It's just perfect. And it was like, when something's right, like we were all very, very excited about it. Yeah. And now I couldn't think of a better name. I'm I'm so happy we we changed it, exactly. I, I'm I'm gonna even mention to say I even like this name better than our first name. If yes. that's not like you know, agree. You know. I will say this: it's a fantastic name. Well, it's a you. fantastic <laughs> name. It's a really, really, really good name. Um, you mentioned you 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 just hit on something quickly there, where you were like people were normal that that they mm. were like honored to be considered normal, confused to be considered normal. Talk to me more about that. But what do you mean? <laughs> you know what questions to ask to hit a nerve. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that so Alex and I always had viewed the word normal like tongue in cheek because like what what is normal anyways which was literally the first episode that we ever did is what yep. even is normal because we we know that you know from society like the orthodox society has it, it it does have parameters there's a lot of different boxes that a person can fit themselves into and of course no one ever really truly fits into a box because we're all individuals but we have to also acknowledge that there are certain you know, social expectations that are maybe even stronger in our societies than are in the world at large where it's kind of more of a free-for-all and um, this idea of what is normal, I feel like I want to go back and listen to that episode because really like it's, a, it's an idea of um, like, is it, are you, fun like, is it, I'm not even saying it right. Are you functioning health? Are you healthy? Are you, are you regular? Are you, is, are things working? It's not dysfunctional. You know, your normal can mean yeah. a different thing to every single different person, but people seem to have this real, either they specifically don't want to be normal because it's like ugh, boring, which I hear that too. Or it's like an, it's an insult, you know, um, like as in you're not normal could be insulting, but sometimes not normal is also a compliment. You're not normal. You're amazing. 
it's this word that people seem to have a very fraught relationship with. And we were, we always meant it tongue in cheek, but we had some people when we first came out with the podcast said, we really don't like the name. It's really offensive to us. Yeah. And we had this graphic. Well, we had this graphic. I think this might answer the question where um, like our little logo. So normal for a woman, we really mean like, like the regular, you know, like we're representing the normal everyday woman. You know what I mean? I'll take the word normal out. So when we saw, we put on the graphic, like little images that to us resonate in our everyday lives. There was mm. a minivan, there was a sitter, there was like a latte cup with a straw um, and, there's a, there's and a laundry, laundry basket, basket and a chillum pot, you know? And someone did say like, what? So you a normal for a woman is you driving a minivan. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, we're I not can, trying to I, In the context it. of the graphic, I hear how it gets yeah. fraught. Like, we well, didn't mean people- to define it. And also people, they feel like, well, who are you, who are you to say what's normal? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, what if, and what if people themselves don't feel like they fit in the community and they don't feel like, and so it's, it's a pain point. It can be a, it can be yeah. a real pain point. And you, know? and you don't want when you're releasing a, you know, a new episode, when we moved over to Meaningful Minute, I actually consulted with a branding expert and she's like, you want to create as few barriers to entry as possible. It's just not smart, you know, and in 2022, trust me, when we consulted and we were asking people, some people were like, oh, people are snowflakes. Give me a break. You know, whatever you have to say about it, you just, if it's going to be a barrier entry and you're, and it's going to possibly offend people, you don't, it's not a smart marketing move, you know? Yeah. I hear you. So you mentioned Rifki, you mentioned something kind of off the cuff that I'm curious to hear what you both think about this, which is that like, you, you said that, you know, in, in the firm world, we have this like definition of normal and these boxes that we try to kind of fit everyone into where, you know, in the wider world, it's a little bit more of a free for all. I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that, because like in the, if you're choosing to be from, if you're choosing to be Orthodox or choosing to be Jewish, whatever that means to you, then you've kind of already decided the people that you're going to hang out with and all groups of people have their things, you know, they have their, they have the, whatever it is, you know, the, whatever you need to have to be a part of that group, whatever it is. And if you're not strongly connected to one type of person, then you can kind of shop around. Do you know what I mean? Like in the, in the wider world, you can kind of go and find your people. And if like, if those are the music people, if those are the creative people, or those are the lawyers or those are the accountants, like whatever, I don't know, but you can kind of like assess who you want to hang out with and then make a decision. And those are your, and like, that's your community where if you're specifically, if you're born from, um, which I know doesn't apply to you, Rifki, but still it's not like you've kind of already decided like, well, these are my people. So I got to figure it out. I'm curious what you think about that, Alex. Mm, really fascinating. Oh, um, I love this idea of like, these are my people. I think there's value in that, um, connecting to like-minded people and feeling comfortable with your friends and feeling comfortable with your peer group. I think it's important. I think it's also important that within the Orthodox community to recognize that there's tremendous diversity in the Orthodox community. And you mentioned professions. Well, for sure, there's diversity. And, you know, maybe for women, there, there are some more difficult professions. But, I, um, you know, there, there are the doctors or the lawyers. You know, there's, there really is everyone, men and women included. There are people of various socioeconomic levels. And I find that fascinating. You know, my parents became religious when um, we moved into Orthodox community when I was 12 and something they always talked about and I found really interesting and it's never left me is, you know, when you're not, when you're not religious in the secular community, this, the neighborhood that you live on is based and the schools that you send your children to is based on your socioeconomic level. Um, you really do not 
have much to do socially with people who are not where you're holding economically. But when you join an Orthodox community, I know it's it's different when you're talking about certain niche neighborhoods in the tri-state area, you know, like everyone who lives in a secret area obviously has a certain income level if they can afford those houses. I get it. But, you know, they were talking about we lived in an out-of-town community and, you know, you're socializing and you're having Shabbos meals. You know, they would go to, you know, the rabbi's family who, you know, didn't have a dining room table and had folding table and chairs. And then they were having the next Shabbos meal with millionaires. And that that's something really to acknowledge is, is our communities are diverse economically, um, socially, you know, backgrounds, professionally. I think there's tremendous diversity. And I think, I think the challenge is how we tend to really like, we try to really like only stick with our people and our type and this minion with this type of people. Cause that, I think that's a real problem. <laughs> I think that we, not a real problem is not pressing like I'm writing an article about it, but I think we need to do more to open up our eyes and realize all of the very different types of from people in our communities and try to diversify a little bit, you know? Yeah, I, I hear it. Rifki, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Um, I loved everything that you said, Alex, and the, also the, 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 point of how there is such socioeconomic diversity within our communities, especially in out of town. I've only ever lived out of town, so I don't yeah. have any uh, it is mainly out of town. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. I won't it's not mainly out of town. Well, there's some people who will say where I'm from is out of town, which I, I live in Queens. I live in Garden Hills. I have lived there my entire life. There are yeah. some people who have told me that Queens is out of town. And I was like, Queens yeah, is out I of town. If you, okay. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Queens is out of town. If you define town as Brooklyn, literally like that's the only one. It was like, I live in New York city. I am more in town than Lakewood is. Like there's, I, the, so funny. Oh, it drives, that drives me crazy because I'm a very proud New Yorker. But I think that, you know, this, this notion of the, the socioeconomic diversity is a very interesting one because you're totally right that in the wider world, you, you aren't like there are poor neighborhoods and there are wealthy neighborhoods and, mm -hmm. and there are just Jewish neighborhoods. So, and where, yeah. where, yeah, you're oh, right. You there is a, a range, but it's, it's different. Yeah. Yeah, right. In the exactly. secular world, you all send your kids to the certain private school. That's where your friends go. Or we, I remember my parents moved to a certain neighborhood because it had the best public school. That's so where, like, yeah, same. and you had to afford the houses that were surrounding that public school. You know, we do off, I fall into the same trap, whatever struggles I have in the from community, I often will like look out at the second world and be like, oh, it's better there. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like they don't have to deal with this. You could just be the free spirit. No one really cares. I, I, I think it's, I think it's the grass is always green on the other side. I it's, think there are so very funny. much plenty pressures and stresses to conform, just like we have tremendous stresses and pressures to conform as well in the Orthodox community. I'm just, I'm just laughing that that's the exact example that you used, Alex, because that's literally like, I am the inverse. I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, you could just be a free spirit and there's everything and there's no boundaries and there's no structure and there's no anything and it's horrible and just like, <laughs> nice and safe over here. You're, you're too overwhelmed by all the possibilities. <laughs> well, not even we just talked that. about like, this. You can just spiral out and then like, you don't even know where you're going to end up. It's like, I'm just saying from my personal experience and living life out there. So, you know, and I came from a very wonderful, nice, normal, middle-class, suburban, Midwestern family, totally on like just fantastic. My parents are fantastic people. The, um, anyways, no, I think that what you're saying, like, you know, when, when you're born into a from community or when you choose to, to join a from community and like that, these are your people. I think that this is something I've talked about. I think I talked about on the SNES episode about how there are a smaller range of choices of like what your type is going to be, right? 
And it, depending on your personality and depending on a lot of different factors, that can either be, okay, this is good because then I have to like less headspace for like even having to worry about it or think about it and it's fine. And then this is my type. And yes, Alex, I 100% agree with the point that you shouldn't only associate with your type because like there are, there's value in diversity and our, you know, our community does have a lot of diversity, even though from the outside, it may not seem like that, <laughs> but you know, we do have a lot of diversity and we can learn so much from each other. And that's the stereotype. I was at a speech. Um, oh my gosh. Who just came into Cleveland? Who did I hear Alex? She came um, Jackie in. Baton. Yeah. Thank you. Jackie. Baton. Oh, I love her. So she, and she was talking about how, you know, she was hanging out with like a certain like type, like a certain demographic of Jews. And she's like, you know, they're wearing, they're wearing like, you know, bikinis to the beach and they're wearing jeans, but they're saying to him the whole day. Like you can't judge, mm -hmm. you can't judge. And I feel like that's something that is a message that as I, Alex can tell you, I'm like a little obsessed with the rules and the boxes and like the rules of from society. And because I want my kids to like fit in and all of that stuff, you know, whatever. But so I get a little obsessed with this topic about boxes and normal and blah, blah, blah. But like really the fact of the matter is, I think it's like helpful to be aware of like what is socially normal for the community that you live in and the school that you do. And to say like, okay, so this is what is standard. This is what most people are doing. And then pause and say, does it make sense for me? Does it make sense for my family? And if it right. makes sense for you, if it makes sense for the way you parent, if it makes sense for the way that you are going to connect to Hashem, to your own Judaism, okay, so then do it, you know, but if you need to step out of the box, then also you need to do it, you know, like sometimes we need to step out of the box for the sake of ourselves, for the sake of our family, and sometimes we need to stay in the box, but I feel like if we're in a community and we're stepping out of the box every five minutes, maybe the community is not the right fit. Right. Like maybe we need to do some shopping. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hear it. Yeah. And I, I just would like to make the note, like, because you originally asked about from women specifically, like Rifki and I did an episode, our first episode for the, when we transferred to Meaningful Minute was about like from religious creative, creative women, creatives in our community. You know, my father is an artist. Um, he's a painter. Both my parents are in the advertising field. He was an art director. My mother is a, was a stylist. Um, she did sets and wardrobe for TV commercials and advertising. So I, I come from this like home of the arts. And in the secular world, if you have a talent, you use it professionally. But in the firm world, that doesn't always happen for creative women. So Rifki mentioned like drama. I also was um, very involved in drama in high school as well. And like, you know, so like someone like that who has a passion for it in the firm world, like the women are not going into professional acting, obviously. You know, we're not go we're not aiming for Broadway. You could be the star of your base acro production, but that's off limits. Um, I think there's a sensitivity um, because like we said, like there are many just classic professions that women go into because it's probably, you know, this idea that like it's easier for their family or easier work-life balance or whatever it is. And certainly there's levels of conformity too in our communities. But what I, I, I always find fascinating is I have a friend, for example, who's like an OT. She is the, such a talented painter. She's a photographer. She's very into fashion. She's clearly a creative arts, artsy person, okay? But she is an OT. And it's like, this, this was mind-boggling for me. It's like, okay, so I'm an OT. I chose this job. It's a good job. I also enjoy it. It makes good money. It's good for my schedule. Do I not use my talents? Just because I'm not using my talents professionally doesn't mean I'm not using them. Her house is covered with her paintings. She's, it's just, she's just incre an incredible artist. And that was like a mindset shift. Like the secular world tells you, you have to excel in your profession, the highest levels of your talent. The firm world says, try to channel it. And guess what? If you can't channel it, 
use it on the side. You'll be fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't, I don't know. I find that very interesting. And the more you get to know people, the more you, you, you know, you find out how, how interesting and, and diverse their, you know, their abilities, their backgrounds, their profiles are uh, versus just like, oh, look at all these from PT and OT women. Everyone does the same thing, you know, in a judgmental kind of way. Yeah, I hear it. I think that it's also, you know, something just clicked in my brain while you were saying that is that in a secular world, the first thing that you do is that you have your career. Like you, right. you, you do high school, you go to college, you choose your major, you get your first job. Maybe at some point in there, you meet your, you meet the person you eventually marry. Maybe at some point in there, you decide to start having kids, but because that generally happens later in life, you know, because you're, you're usually in the secular world, you're going to be having, first of all, fewer kids. And also you're probably not going to start having those kids until you're in your late twenties, early thirties, you know, far when you're, when by that point, you're hopefully more established in a career there's more of a centering of a career as opposed to what we have in, in the firm world, which is much more of a centering of family, you know, much mm -hmm. more of the first thing that you're going to do. And, you know, we can talk till the, till the cows come home about the ridiculous pressure that there is to get married so super early. But the truth is that most from women, you know, are going to get married very young. And that's the first thing that they're going to do. You know, they might be in college while they're having that first baby. And then, and then, okay, so now I'm doing my family thing and what fits into my family as opposed to what family fits into my job. Right, right, very <laughs> different. Exactly, and then that we get, we don't, we don't depend on our career for our personal satisfaction. Right. It can be a tremendous source of personal satisfaction and I feel very fortunate that the things that I do for work are very satisfying to me. Um, it, it's a, very grateful to Hisham that that worked out that way, but I'm also not supporting my family with them. Very important distinction. And um, there was, when we lived in Baltimore, one of my closest neighbors was, was not Jewish. She was really lovely. And we had kids like approximately the same age and they would play sometimes. And she had said to me once, I think she was an interior designer and she had stopped doing interior design to raise her kids. And she said she got such flack from her family for it. And she told me, she said, I'm really actually a little jealous that in your community, being a mother is something that's not looked, like, it's not looked down upon. It's like, oh, you're being a mother you get a lot of support of being a mother and it's valued being a mother. She said, I, I don't have that in my circles. Hmm. Yeah, I hear it. That's yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I never thought about it that way. That's an yeah. interesting, that's an interesting little I feel like we could keep chatting literally for the next Forever. five hours. <laughs> um, <laughs> and one day we're going to, I'm going to come to Cleveland. We're going to get some coffee. It's going to happen. Um, yes. But for me, also, we could just come to New York. I love coming to New York. That's true. Come yeah. to New York, come to New York. Definitely. Cause yeah, my schedule's crazy. But either when when we're all in the same state, we'll get some coffee. And maybe we'll even do it in Queens, which is very in town. So we'll, we can get lots of great coffee and salads and all of that. Listen, um, if you have better shopping than us, you're probably considered in town. Although our shopping's not terrible, but you know. It's not terrible. <laughs> it's gotten so much better. There you go. We, you have options and there's the internet. So that also. <laughs> there is. That, that, that is also very helpful. Um, if somebody wants to learn more about you guys and see what it is that you do, where can they go? Alex, I'm throwing this to you. Okay, so I am on Facebook as well as Instagram. Um, and our podcast is Deep Meaningful Conversations. Um, you can find it on anywhere you find your podcast. Just type it in. Um, yeah, that's where I am. And Rifki? I am mostly on Instagram. I do have a Facebook account and I do have a Twitter account, which I primarily ignore and cross post from Instagram. So Instagram is kind of where I live. Um, also, yeah, I mean, yeah, our, I run the blogs, um, the blog help. I run the podcasts, social media accounts, um, DMC podcast. 
And um, I love to connect there also. So, and also whatever. Type in my name into Google and then you can find ways to contact me. <laughs> like, so. I love yes. that. And if you are curious to read any of our articles, you can just go on the Mishpacha website and type our names there and you'll get them all pulled up. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to link all of that in the show notes so that you can find all of that. Find Deep Meaningful Conversations wherever you're listening to this right now. Just type it in. You'll see their beautiful faces and you can take mm-hmm. it from there. Um, Alex, what does it mean to you to make an impact? Oh, great question. <sighs> Oh, you didn't tell me before. <laughs> You've obviously never listened to an episode of the show. <laughs> I also just had that thought too. Okay. What it means to me to make an impact is to come from a source of truth within myself um, and honesty within myself where I feel that I'm contributing through the strengths and the strengths that, that God gave me. And therefore the impacts will just be sort of like an overflowing of who I am. I'm not trying, it's not forced, but it's just being me. And then I feel that is the most true to myself and authentic. I love that. Rifki, what about you? What does it mean to make an impact? Beautiful. Essentially identical to what Alex said. Wow. (laughs) I feel like um, I was just thinking about the times when I was also reaching into myself from like a really vulnerable and authentic place and like thinking about an experience I had and and then using the talents that Hashem gave me to communicate it in some way, whether it was musically, whether it was usually for write, through writing. If I would write a piece and then it would go out and someone would email me and be like, you know, I went through a similar thing and your piece really, really helped me with that. So I feel I like, like that. that is how I feel the most impactful and also flooded with an incredible sense of gratitude that I was able to be helpful to someone. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much for coming on today, you guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Thank Rafi. It's been su- such an honor to be interviewed. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Alex, Rafi, and DMC, all of the links are in the show notes. On last week's episode, my guest was Danielle Immerman of The Reflective. We spoke about nuances in modesty and modest dressing. Listen to it wherever you're hearing this one. The Impactful Podcast is a project of impact fashion. Both lines I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 17 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant-parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzquitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. Here's to making an impact together. One last thing before you go. A group of from female podcasters have gotten together to introduce you to some great shows. Um, What we're going to be doing is that every week we're going to be featuring a new show so that you can get to know other, you know, get to know other options, get to know other podcasts that might be of interest to you. And I'm actually really happy about, like, I'm really glad with the one that we're starting with. And that is Honey Fingers, the Happy Birthway podcast. And if you're an avid and close listener of the show, you'll know that um, I had Hani on as a guest and we discussed her show and how she, you know, became a labor and delivery nurse and why it was important to her to parlay that into Yoletta Academy and the Happy Birthway podcast. That's really all about birth and birth education. It's a really great show. I did an episode with her um, around like hiding my pregnancy basically and the choices that I made around that it was a really fun conversation to record so uh, I'm gonna play the trailer for Hani's happy birthday podcast now I'm also gonna put in the show notes a link to the conversation that I had with her uh, as a great place for you to start listening 
I'm Khani, a labor and delivery nurse that has been taking care of new moms and babies for over eight years. I created the Happy Birthway podcast because through my work, I saw how powerful knowledge is. Informed mothers are more confident when it comes to making decisions about their care. They're less anxious. They feel more positive and empowered, even when their birth doesn't turn out how they expected. The Happy Birthway podcast is a space where myths are dispelled, experts drop their wisdom, mothers tell their birth stories, and we explore Judy influence on these experiences. Episodes feature a spectrum of views on birth from highly medicalized to super holistic. And since they say it's good for your health, I make sure you get lots of laughs. If you believe that a healthy mother and baby is only the bare minimum, that mothers should also walk away happy and empowered from their births, then tune in weekly to take yours to the next level.